Welcome to Girls Room, where each week we unpack the foundational text of the 2010s, HBO's Girls. I'm Julia Gray. I have my incredible co-host with me, Drew Haskins. Hi, everyone. And for episode 10 of season four, we have TV writer and industry insider, Alex Eldridge. How you doing? Hi, happy to be here. Thank you. What so, a treat. I what mean, a treat. I'm so excited to talk about this episode with you. You just told us before we hit record that you had watched the entire season. So there's there's so much to get into just with this season, but just with this episode where it's a rich text. It was a thrill to revisit. I was telling Drew beforehand that I actually watched every episode of Girls as it was airing throughout the years, um, starting with the season premiere. And I have not you know, you're always looking for an excuse to revisit some of your favorite shows. And I always find, you know, myself gravitated towards all the new shows that are coming out all the time and I never get a chance to. So this was a delightful excuse to to dig back in. Revisit a classic. In the crazy streaming age, it really is so nice to have a few anchor shows to go back to. And just when you're overwhelmed by new content, having something to just put on when you do not have the energy or the bandwidth to try something new is so nice. Like that's me right now with 30 Rock and Sex and the City simultaneously. Yeah. I love 30 that. Rock is definitely my my one show wherever it ends up. I think it's on, I don't know if it's Hulu or Netflix now or whatever, but yeah. um I always go back to that one. And I wish I just wish more people would introduce like a shuffle option or something. You know, I just sort of <laughs> want it randomized and and available and I just whatever comes up I'll be happy with. Mm -hmm. so alex i have known you now for six years and i did not know until recently that you were a girls super fan i know you started right away with the show but like how did you what drew you to in the first place and then what's your journey been like with the show well i went to film school in chicago and i moved to los angeles in 2010 and uh, Tiny Furniture was released in theaters um, a few months after I moved to LA and I would I would see the poster for it everywhere. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but I knew it had some buzz around, I think South By is where it it um, originally premiered. And, and so it was kind of on my radar for a while and I didn't end up catching it until a few months after its initial release. It was on a, it was at the new Beverly Cinema out here in, in LA which is Quentin Tarantino's theater. Mm-hmm. And it was on a double bill with Ghost World, um, which is wow. great programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and really. so I saw, you know, Tiny Furniture for the first time and I moved out here fresh from film school and everything. And I think Lena Dun- Dunham and I are, are roughly the same age. And I just saw this feature film from somebody who could have been somebody that I looked up to, you know, in film school that was, um, that I really loved and kind of was a, a very lightning bolt um, creative moment for me. Um, and, uh, and so then, yeah, you know, I, year after that or whatever it was, you know, I heard that, um, Lena Dunham's getting an HBO show. And so I was obviously interested from just sort of day one and stuck with it ever since, you know, HBO Sundays, um, going all the way back to, to girls era. So, mm-hmm. and I, I even, I think season three is probably my favorite, and I just remember hitting many moments of kind of, you know, that feeling you get when you're watching something and it's just like, this is so transcendently good in a way that 
affects me personally, but is also just objectively a, a very quality piece of um, moving image, you know? I, I mean, it's very cinematically inspired, it feels. It's um, just the way it's designed and all the individual choices of it and everything are, are way out of the league of um, a lot of other things that were happening then or now. Um, and so I've just always been really uh, drawn to it and, and just a really big fan, even as, um, you know, whatever cultural consensus has has emerged or, you know, gone back out over the years. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've, I've always just really loved it. Yeah, it's it really is one of those shows that has only gotten better with age, as we've said many, many times on this podcast. but when you were talking just now, I was thinking about how refreshing it was back then for like an indie filmmaker with a lot of us to go make a, like get like a blank check to make a TV show instead of getting sucked up by Disney or the really? big studio systems to like direct Bambi live action or whatever. Like, I feel like if Felina Dunham had made Tiny Furniture today, she would be doing like the fox and the hound for Disney instead of girls at all. Like, I mean, she did have uh daddy Judd Apatow behind her. We can't forget. Yeah. <laughs> we can't ignore her um series of advantages, you know, but she <laughs> is also clearly um a very she like she has great creative taste. Oh my god. You know? And yeah. um I mean you know, this show feels like almost like a short film anthology or something. You know, in yeah. ways that you can't really say that about um, uh, every show necessarily. You know, each each episode has its own sort of character, um, not literal, you know, but tone and and in you know enclosed storyline and everything like that. It doesn't rely on the over serialization of the all episodes, you know, dropping at once type of thing. It um, very carefully considered, you know. And I was just rewatching this season, which you know I was remembering wasn't necessarily my favorite season as like at the end of it and we'll, we'll get into it at the end of the episode I'm sure but um you know it does a lot of really unconventional things with its character work too yeah um which uh and I think this is you know one of the first maybe not one of the first but it's certainly a show that it's wider audience confused um character decisions for the creators of the show actively sanctioning those decisions yeah um you yeah. know it's uh it has characters do a lot of things that um aren't relatable to say the least and uh you know I think it's stronger for that and and not in pursuing a, a bolder version of of more aggressive characters and in, in various ways that aren't aren't satisfying in in conventional ways yeah I was I mean we'll talk about the actual episode itself but watch this is the first time in my life I've watched Sex in the City old school not just and just like that and girls at the same time and this episode felt very Sex in the City-ish almost to me in that there was very clearly a central theme to this episode that each girl manifested in their own individual storyline that sort of all converged for the most part all at the end too like I don't I like it. Girls can be so freewheeling and experimental with its structure, but this was such a satisfying season finale to me because it was so, it was like conventional 
comedy drama half hour plotting done extremely well and I feel like Lena doesn't get enough credit as a creator and showrunner for really just knowing how to make television that works as television yeah and I think um I think you're right about that and and also to go against it a little I think there's there's something about this season that feels like uh I got to the end of it and I almost felt like one of those movies like weird example but like Pirates of the Caribbean 2 or like <laughs> the, the most recent Spider-Verse you know where it's actually just half of a movie and you, you're like oh there's more like it's like it felt like you know there's a story continues quality yeah. kind of way and like oh we've only dealt with like maybe half of a, a greater story kind of thing that I that I felt very strongly at the end of the season I don't know if you feel that way maybe too um but yeah. I I just not that it was incomplete or anything necessarily, but um, like it's just sort of like, oh, we only got maybe a part of the story or or because certain things were a little bit more un unresolved or um, un you know dealt with that uh, it it just felt like more of an ellipses end of of, of a season than outright mm -hmm. closure. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that Lena has like influenced your work at all, or just kind of the way you think about TV? Yeah, I think, you know, I was thinking about the, I'm not a comedy writer. I'm mainly a, a drama writer. And I was thinking about another show that was airing concurrently to this, which is Looking. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in Looking's second and final season, they were really just starting to to find the comedy in it and, and what, what their version of, of comedy was, which was sort of absent in it. And I think in rewatching this, it, it made me realize how crucial the comic elements are in girls mm -hmm. um, and not just doing, you know, and, and having a purely dramatic, more mumblecore, you know, type of approach to a show like this um, isn't going to give you the longevity to, uh, to have as many seasons, you know, certainly whether or not you're planning on having fewer seasons or not, but um yeah, there's little things like that all the time. And just rewatching it too, I was just really inspired on a on a filmmaking level. You know, there's like things that they do with blocking that you don't see in a lot of um, um, shows that they do like like this. So, so short answer, yes. I mean, I I think as I was watching this, you know, I it was one of those things where I was like, I wonder what my version of this is. Mm -hmm. You know, particularly since um, around the time it started airing, I had a lot of friends from college who were moving to New York City and starting young professional careers and and things like that and and even absent New York which I'm not really an East Coast person at all so I don't have a lot of personal um mm -hmm. experience in New York City you know I I just think it was really inspiring on like a, oh this is how to do a show about people my age right now in big cities wherever they are kind of thing yeah. um I have a rambling answer to your question I guess but in, in a lot of ways it really it has really inspired me well i hope you do pivot from trauma eventually and give looking another try and make it funny because uh -huh. like that's always been my it's big issue funny. with that show yeah like you can do a gay girls i think you can do a gay sex in the city but looking i think for a lot of people has kind of been that like that the one big swing at trying to do that kind of show and for you know you can quibble about the representation you can quibble about the 
realistic aspects of gay life or whatever but like it just simply wasn't that funny which is crazy considering you have people like Lauren Weedman and Murray Bartlett and Jonathan Groff who are so funny and just like not knowing what to do with them at all so yeah and I think um the unfunny version of of like a looking only works as like a movie really you know and and Andrew Hay already made that movie maybe you know and he's made it a a few times already (laughs) (laughs) I love his movies by the way you know but um yeah I I was disappointed that that looking you know and and again I did just feel that that was really finding itself really during this same season as um I think season two is airing at the exact same time as season season four um and I remember watching both of them and and maybe even gut reaction to the ending of this season of girls was that you know were they maybe hitting a more of a plateau period as as looking was hitting his ascendant period and I think girls went on and and was no longer plateauing necessarily and that was not even maybe the correct um assessment uh the first time I watched it but that was just sort of the feeling that I had um as soon as it ended yeah I I was recalling that so before we move on to the actual meat of the episode we ask every guest this question which girl are you (laughs) oh uh I've thought about this and as much as I'd like to be a Jessa (laughs) and I'm probably more shosh than I'd care to admit uh, I think I'm a Hannah and I don't think I have her uh, chaotic hubris no <laughs> uh, but um, you know I'm an only child and uh, I think there's a lot of relatability there us only children are kind of like a weird unofficial club in a way <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so I see a lot of that and and you know just I guess wanting to be a writer and um, I don't know being slightly a weirdo and you know uh Mm. I can I can definitely relate to Hannah a lot I think if if I'm the most like any of them I think it's Hannah I think it's a we could probably make this one of the girls room 10 commandments at this point writers are Hannah's like just like every writer who comes through here is like I mean I'm a Hannah it's sort of like uh how you don't want to be a Carrie but you're a Carrie and I'm speaking from personal experience. Okay. Which which are both of you real quick? Because I'm sure you've discussed it at length. I'm a Hannah uh, show sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Marnie. <laughs> Marnie like through and through. Through and through. Um, like sun, moon, rising Marnie. Yeah. I And I feel pretty comfy. But I have some, sh- some shosh in my chart too. Alex, you are the first person who has come through these doors that want both wants to be a Jessa and finds being a Shosh somewhat like untoward. <laughs> and that that to me, to me, I would flip that. Like I would be trying to avoid my Jessa tendencies at all costs and like sure. leaning into like the Tao of Shosh, which this episode really starts to like coalesce into something. Yeah. I would have figured you for more of a Shosh actually, maybe, but I can, you know, now that I'm thinking about it's it. Maybe I'm just <laughs> I'm the baby at the group chat. That's why you think I'm. A That's Jewish. what it is. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But don't mistake my youth for naivete. I am a, (laughs) and also ignore all these boxes that are just in frame (laughs) of my camera right now. Like I'm a, I feel like I'm like really leaning into my like type A tendencies, even more recently, even more than we started this podcast, like way back when I feel like my Marnie, my Marnie-ish tendencies have really like popped off for better or worse. So well, you know, Jessa has an unself-awareness that's kind of um, I don't know, destructive or something. And whereas Hannah's is a bit more benign, maybe. And Shosh, I really do identify with her long arc in in girls and her kind of um I, I feel like it it mirrored mine maybe a, a bit in my twenties, if I can talk about that decade with mm-hmm. as much hindsight. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I don't, you know, I th- I think it's Hannah. I, th- I can't tell if I'm avoiding saying I'm a Shoshmore or avoiding saying I'm a Hannah more because they each have things about them that are just almost right there. But maybe I don't want to cop to as much. Mm-hmm. I think in the grand scheme of things, the Shoshes and the Hannahs of the world, like, I don't know, hats off. I think we're, I think we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Should we get into the episode? Let's do it. Um, Last episode, Hannah continued to not quite come to terms with her dad's coming out. She's having kind of a rough go at it. Marnie announced her engagement to Desi and Jessa and Ace. They hook up and then they break up. And they have this fucked, like, four-sided love square with Mimi, Rose, and Adam. They also break up. And then Shosh helps Ray. I think he's, is he running for community board? He wins, but I don't know what he's running for. (laughs) I was going to say city council, but it's not something that that powerful. It's like a neighborhood council. I don't know what it's called in New York. Right. But he wins. Neighborhood council? Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's something that helps um, the stop signs. And he wins. And that's where we, that's where we left off. And thankfully, the politics of it all was not mentioned at all this episode. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm really done with that storyline, if I'm being honest. I definitely was higher on season four as a whole rewatching it than I was the first time. It's probably the weakest of the four we've covered so far. But like, like I said a little bit earlier, I thought this was close to a perfect finale. I'm interested to hear what y'all thought. Yeah. You first. first. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll I, I just think, you know, there's a I was thinking about Hannah in, in particular. And and you know, I think Hannah um you sort of for everything she does this season, kind of want her to be like punished more. And I don't mean violently, but there to, there to be some like justice or or something for I think the way that she's behaved. This is how I feel at least. And the fact that um, there's sort of like a life goes on and uh, uh, an acceptance in various ways on the part of the other characters uh, leaves it feeling with a more unfinished quality than it is. Um, and I don't know if I've I've settled on, you know, what they were trying to to say in in deciding that her character would sort of end that way and, and be embraced the way that she is mm-hmm. and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's the wrong instinct. Because I think the easy thing to do is for there to, you know, pursuing a, a course of um, 
negative action and then comeuppance as opposed to a more natural and messier kind of version of, you know, friend group acceptance or um, uh, whatever it might be. So I, I think I'm just trying to identify, I guess, why it, I didn't like it the first time I, I watched it or maybe it sort of rubbed me the wrong way in, in a way that I didn't realize. And in rewatching it, um, I liked the decisions that they made with her character more purely because of them being more unconventional decisions. But again, like I was saying at the beginning, it's like, I don't think they agree that Hannah is like a good person necessarily or have like absolved her in any way. They just chose not to like, for there not to be any like um, real downside to her behavior other than the kind of loneliness that she feels maybe for not having found the thing that she's looking for that she doesn't know what it is yet yeah does any of that make sense no that makes sense i i think like part of the lack of resolution in this finale or like the transience of all the four girls' arcs they're they're all works in progress still and like more so than the other three finales before this this one really makes a point of like articulating that all these girls are at like an inflection point in their lives but each of them makes a good choice this episode the one i will say the one thing i didn't love about this episode was it opened with hannah having a panic attack again which like you know we've seen in season two how destructive those were to her life Mm -hmm. and this I don't know they included this in like the scene of Fran comforting her um and it just felt a little tacked on to me like it was interesting that that's where they chose to start this episode yeah I feel like they are they're setting up her spoiler alert her and Fran's I guess reunion at the end but I think that's a good point she's you know still kind of she she I, I don't remember when her career at the school ends, but she's still kind of dealing with the aftermath of not quite fitting in and also finding out her dad's gay and not being able to kind of come to terms with that. And Fran, who, oh God, he is too good for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you're kind of like, I mean, speaking to the first night I watched this episode, I was kind of like, why does she get to end up with him? You right. know? Like after everything, like, and and with no context around either, you know, there's this short scene of panic attack comfort. And then there's this little coda at the end of, and then they lived happily ever after. And I did at the time just feel like, what were we going for here? Like, why is that? Why is that right for his character? Um, and, And I guess, you know, the answer is it isn't. No. And I you feel know, like if it were faithful to reality, Hannah would have said yes to Adam. Is that's how I mean we'll get there, but that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, there's no way she's saying no. There's no way she's saying this is not gonna she she's going back. But I, I yeah. do know this is the final season they wrote where they didn't immediately know that they were gonna get picked up for another season afterwards because they were writing these seasons in blocks season to season to season for the first four years and then with season five they 
were given the notice that they would get season five and a final season six. So the reason I think the season we'll get, we're obviously going to cover season five and season six in the future. Those two seasons are so good and so satisfying to me because I think they actually had the space to wrap everything up the way they wanted to with like a 20 episode arc essentially Mm -hmm. um and they didn't have to kind of hedge their bets with each of these season finales that they would also be series finales like this one kind of reminds like the the fran and hannah of it all which i'm more bullish on than y'all are especially as like a season finale ender but it reminded me a lot of the season two finale where like marnie's last little scene is her and charlie walking in the street like carrying like roses in a tote bag or whatever (laughs) like very like tacked on to everything else we had talked about in that season but um it just they needed to leave people somewhere right yeah that is that is what it felt like um i don't know it felt less deliberate definitely than like well let's just leave it here you know to your point so what did you think of i get the centerpiece of this episode is caroline's home birth which i love incredible gabby hoffman Hoffman performance i thought perfect i love i love everyone kind of like when uh hannah staged her sit-in at her apartment when adam moved in um i love it kind of everyone stopping by caroline and lair it's Mm -hmm. It's just a a rotating cast of characters figuring out how to deal with getting Caroline out of the bathtub. It's so funny. It's it's very like sitcommy almost. Sitcommy, but with like the stakes of like a premature baby home birth, which is not funny, but like <laughs> it is um like it's so tonally tricky to make this scene as funny as it is. And I really want to give both Gabby Hoffman and John Glazer props for this like especially like it's so cliche to be like she gives a fearless performance just because she's like like unprettying herself or whatever but like Gabby Hoffman really goes for it in this episode and like it's really weird to say about a naked pregnant woman in a tub but she's a great physical comedian like I was laughing 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 i actually looked up her imdb immediately after just to make sure she was still working and she is she's on winning time on hbo which i have not seen but i was like oh i haven't seen her in a few years i hope she's not like somehow done or something but i was like okay good she's still (laughs) yeah because she deserves it she was also in come on come on too which i never saw but she was she got oscar buzz for that a few years ago the mike mills movie um I think she's going to just be like constantly steadily working. Yeah. In she's these fantastic. Character. She's great. That was great. Yeah. Uh, John Glazer has a line at one point in the home birth scene that I wrote down, um, which, you know, it's this is the thing about the show is there's like so much kind of naturalism, you know, gritty realism, but then there's these lines that are like so deliberate at a certain point. And one of the lines that he said was, how can it be crazy, Hannah? It's happening. <laughs> you know oh that is so good and I thought that was like kind of like a perfect like little throwaway kind of summation of not only the ending of this season um but the kind of vibe of the episode you know in general um how yeah. can it be crazy it's happening 
I love that. Yeah, Caroline referring to herself as almost a doula. <laughs> oh <laughs> my like... god. Yeah, so he's, I think he read about being a doula and she's almost a doula. So together they make like half a doula. I, Adam is looking really hot in this scene. He says it's the dumbest idea that's ever happened. Hannah says the whole thing seems crazy. And Caroline says, don't be so Western, which is again a- another perfect line. Oh, you two, don't be so Western. She's so, <laughs> oh God. And I-, I didn't write it down, but she says something about like how Adam needs to look at her vagina or like. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> like, you should want to do that. Exactly. Or, or something She's like that. Such a perfect, um, she plays the horrible, like, sister so well there's a better word than horrible but that's just what's, the complete that's the lack of boundaries like she and adam obviously had these like quasi incest vibes that they've alluded to over the course of the show like there it, it's just such good casting both as that particular character for caroline but as siblings to adam driver and Gabby Hoffman should they should do more stuff together like they're so good they should put her in the next Star Wars or whatever she'll be the what's going on there (laughs) she she could be an Ewok like a really like (laughs) hipster earth mama Ewok Um, oh my god I can't believe he I can't believe Adam is Star Wars now anyway that's another episode Um, I mean every single minor role that walks on screen you're like i forgot who is it who is at the end of the episode the um the bar owner is i was like oh Oh, yeah that guy's in it too colin quinn (laughs) you know he shows up too and then like you know an episode ago um bob babylon as as hannah's you know therapist Mm -hmm. Uh, and just like everybody who like wanders onto the girls set is just like a either went on to and we'll get to the the marnie of it all but um that guy from the bear, you know, I was like, that's how I know him, you know, yeah. slash and like weirdly, ashamedly attracted to oh, him. Oh, we <laughs> all are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Company. There is no shame in that here. Um, I also, we'll get to the Marnie of it all too, but I loved Spike Jones as the yes. label president. Oh, another one that you're like, oh, Spike Jones is here too, you know, and it didn't yeah, initially I, click that that yeah. was Spike Jones, but then it did. Yeah, I, I had to IMDb it because um, I was like, that guy looks so familiar. Um, also a fellow Montgomery County <laughs> resident. Really? Went to BCC, yeah. Wow. How about Spike that? Spike Jones won that screenwriting Oscar and then just decided, I'm just going to show up in little bits on other people's things for the next bless. 10 years and bless his heart for it. God bless. Um, Caroline is freaking out because everyone's asking her to go to the hospital and she won't. Um, They eventually end up carrying her there. And right now we're kind of going through like Hannah's storyline, which I guess kind of includes all this. So we'll go over all the pieces later, but they eventually end up carrying her to the hospital towards the end of the episode. And they... This is after Jessa has come in and kind of worked her her magic mm-hmm. as she does. 
And um, as John Glazer says, they have a quote unquote sweet sugary girl child, <laughs> <laughs> which they name Jessa Hannah hyphened bluebell poem. <laughs> Just the second, I, uh, the second significant hyphenated name in this season. Yes, after Jillian, Jillian, Mimi Rose. Mimi Rose. Mm-hmm. I just thought that you know you don't hear hyphenated names that often. I was like, oh, we get, you know, the second. There's another one here. Yeah. Oh my god! And Booth Jonathan. That maybe that's not hyphenated. Is that first and last? I actually don't know if that's first and last or not. Like. He might be mononymously known by two first names. Like he has a, a last name that we're just not privy to. We always talk about the genius naming yeah. on this show. Just every character has a perfect name. And Jessa Hannah Bluebell Poem. I mean, I've <laughs> never heard of that. That's a chef's kiss. A yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Um, and then continuing on Hannah's storyline. Adam tells Hannah that he and Mimi Rose are over. They're both in hospital gowns and hairnets over the baby's little uh, hospital crib. They're like incubate. Well, wait, no, it's not incubator. You know, oh. not, not, not like for like chicks. You, I don't know what it's called, but like, oh, yes, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. like an incubator kind of thing, right? I think you can say that. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I defer to the experts. I defer to the experts on this one. <laughs> but he does he says he misses her so badly and it did make me well up i and as a hannah myself i was like take him back you know and as i mentioned earlier i do think hannah would but she's like no you're you haven't slept in a while i can't go back to you and respect respect but i don't believe it i think she would have gone back to him Okay, I kind of do believe it. So I I think this is a really good mature choice for her after she mm-hmm. has been dragged all season for being really selfish and like stuck in her habits and stuck in a rut. Um, and I think she sees Adam as an avatar for a lot of bad decisions and selfish behaviors that she's made including like a few episodes when ago when she dragged Fran to Mimi Rose's awful art gallery just to like oh, dangle yeah. Fran in front of his face. Like, I think this is a, a very mature sign of growth from her that I found believable. I don't know. What did you think, Alex? Yeah, I think, because on the one hand, I don't think that she would, I don't buy the Fran of it all. Yeah. But with regard to the atom of it all, I do think that it kind of ends on this note of like the one true thing that she's done this season. You know, it's sort of the one thing that she kind of looks inside her heart and like knows specifically. Because on the one hand, I'm kind of like Hannah, look into Adam Driver's beautiful eyes. And even if you don't love him, just like hit it and quit it, you know? <laughs> but, too. but they've already far outlasted the hit it and quit it part of their relationship they've even settled into living back together again and then you know hannah leaves for uh reasons that aren't necessarily clear to her uh and comes back and has all these expectations and everything and i think their entire vibe at the beginning of the season 
is a couple that is not maybe built to last despite both of their efforts to try to make it last right. is the sense real sense that I was getting and so instead of continuing that you know performance for each other Hannah is the one who making the adult decision to recognize the truth of their relationship at this particular moment at least and actually you know this is if anything the one sort of character learns a lesson-y you know type thing that happens that is I think very understated and uh, she decides and because she knows for a fact that even though she doesn't know who she's for it's maybe not Adam um, and recognizing that truth I think is sort of a beautiful way to end the season even though I don't buy that she would end up with Fran um that that's a bit of a uh stretch maybe a little in case we don't get picked up you know coda type of thing this is what happened um but I think that's a big moment for Hannah to realize that and to reject somebody who outwardly accepts her um and validates her by saying you're for me for Hannah to um turn that down I think is a big move for her Perfectly said, A. And B, I I also don't buy that Fran would take Hannah back. Fran seems too no. normal. And like, I don't, like Hannah is obviously main character syndrome. Like she is like a tractor beam of drama, but like to the reasonable person, I would not find Hannah's whole thing so captivating. I would just have to like upend my life in six months to like cater to this woman's. Absolutely not. Mm-mm. There's another, it's, there's another special someone for Hannah out there. I don't buy that it's Fran at this particular stage, although they did God. jump ahead six months that they didn't show us. So definitely. Yeah. I mean, before we move on to uh, Marnie and Shosh, Jessa didn't have much going on. Well, she did have one thing, but Hannah calls her mom, which I, very sweet phone call at the end. She says, mommy, I just saw a baby get born. Um, and then <laughs> Loreen turns it into a really, oh God, I, I felt so sad. She says, like, that's amazing. I just realized I don't have a future. And like Tad, her husband, si- silently sitting next to her, just really sad. Um, this is, yeah. but this is right before we see the six months later, Fran and Hannah kissing in the snow. So th- things are working out for her, but that was just a tough phone call. Yeah, Becky and Baker did some great table work this season. <laughs> like just like great, ch- fantastic. Yeah, just like chaining sigs and like yelling at people over the phone. Like mm-hmm. great, great work. Um I actually like the little Jessa. I mean, she didn't get a lot of screen time per se, mm-hmm. but I thought the best shot from a camera work perspective this episode was her looking underwater at Caroline and seeing the foot I thought that was so beautiful both as a shot but also kind of like a metaphor for how Jessa is really throwing herself into helping people as a way to forge connections that she has a tough time doing otherwise um and then I mean her like declaring she wants to be a therapist at that and I was like okay but like it, it it was a little growth moment for her. Like yeah, we've seen her be so aimless over the past four seasons. And now she's kind of figured out a way 
to articulate her life's calling and also channel her like chaotic socializing into like kind of like like being some people's therapists like to a lot of people that is kind of like controlled socializing in a way yeah i like that for her honestly yeah um i also love how she handles the situation in the in the bathtub she tells laird to stop being pathetic like be a man and he says i i didn't get the exact quote down but he said like i'm not a man i'm a recovering jewish addict or something like that (laughs) which i thought was so funny she was such the obvious choice to step into that situation and take charge of it too. You know, before she got there, I was kind of like, we need Jessa now. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know. We do need to move on to Marnie. Um, she yeah. has a fun little plot line this episode. She's meeting with Spike Jones, the label guy, and showing off. I, I love how we open on her just showing her engagement ring to this guy. I mean, <laughs> crazy to do um and so oh a quote she says i don't believe in tattoos so this is really the only option (laughs) another Um, throwaway line that i heard and then it sort of seeped in and i laughed about it out loud like a full 10 seconds after you know it was it was a real creeper it also i love that it's a vintage engagement ring she specifies like okay girl we get it we get yeah, it free people i well i took that to mean pawn shop <laughs> like, okay i took it to mean like boho chic you know going with her whole yeah i i can I see both mean. interpretations here for sure like well he got the guitar pedals from some guy mm-hmm. and then she got mad about it and then he came back with this ring and so i i could definitely see either theft or pawn shop i don't think that ring came from a noble place yeah 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 yeah. oh yeah that's a really good point um but they're meeting in ray's coffee shop which i also find interesting um and after they have the meeting uh marnie leaves she says bye ray ray which oh my god every she she can't say a single word without me like just cringing and dissolving into myself but on the way out, Desi asks Ray if they're quote unquote solid, simpatico. And Ray reveals that he fucking hates him <laughs> in this like great takedown. Yeah, I Desi's such an emotional masochist too. Like there's no way he didn't see any of this coming. But I just, I thought Alex Karpovsky was great in this season. He's been great all season as Ray just stuck with these kind of nowhere political plot lines. But like, I love it when Ray gets to just let loose on someone like this. Like, yes, he's the um, Larry David we need. Desi saying that I get from totally different parts of the world. You might not get my Pacific Northwest vibe. And then he's like, it, it might not <laughs> jive with your Boston affect. And I'm like, is Ray from Boston? But like. The thing is, he's definitely not. And Desi definitely just assigns his whole thing to Boston. Yeah. Right? Definitely. I don't know. I, I found that we're from totally different parts of the world. Things so funny. 
Such a brilliant scene. I mean, that what's the actor's name who plays Desi? That guy's so good in this and the there at playing these characters that you're like, I fucking know that guy. Like I have met that guy, you know, a version of that guy out in the world. And this character in Girls, God, whether it's, you know, Chicago, there's a lot of LA people like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and that guy does not want like closure in a conventional sense. He wants to be absolved. Mm-hmm. And Ray is not going to provide that for him and also sees right through this guy. Um, and yeah, it's a great scene where, it, it, you know, it is kind of this moment of justice for it's somebody finally um, telling him because Marty's never going to fucking do it, you know, exactly what he actually needs to hear, which is not what he was looking for. It's a great scene. Yeah, when Ray like dresses him down and says that he will never be what Marnie is looking for. Like but I she'll know, tell, but she'll tell you that you are is the really cutting thing. Is like she's gonna take you back every time and you'll never be enough. It's it's yeah. so good. It's like I I people who listen to this podcast know that I have been very skeptical and always have been of the Ray Marnie relationship but this was so sweet and does show that like Marnie's an idiot this season but like Ray and Marnie get each other on such a deep level like this is only the kind of thing you can say about someone else if you really know them on like a deep spiritual level and I found that so so powerful um ultimately though a hassle because then Marnie, the label showcase, Desi ghosts Marnie, which oh. was the most dickish thing <laughs> imaginable. So messed up. Also, I love uh, Spike Jones saying, all the blogs are here, and then listing you, what is he saying? Like, Brooklyn Vegan, Pitchfork. So funny. But really sad. And Marnie ends up having to play the song solo, which, good for you, girl, but, oh my god. You just, every time you actually hear the songs you're reminded of how god awful they are <laughs> okay i thought she tore it crazy okay. <laughs> like I, okay, I thought i like so like this was her moment like okay, her moment to be yeah. independent and shine like i thought like i i fully was like whitney move over mariah move over allison williams is the oh. vocal bible the diva um it's marnie's her... best performance in the show to date oh 100 <laughs> like you know, compare from where we've been with like the rent songs and stronger, obviously, like this like sad solo rendition of Cocapelli Shelley was totally fine to me, I thought. Okay. Totally no, you guys are right. The fire burning out in Riverside. It's just I I really I don't know. I, you you both are right though. She Well, you don't walk away from this performance feeling like she's gonna nail the record contract, but you're like you at least prove that you can you, you're you're good you are good yeah, yes she has her pride uh-huh Nothing pride intact mm-hmm. and i'll say this i i think the music of marnie michaels would be much more celebrated in 2023 than in 20, 2015 like this kind of like i think that was the time for her i don't know because i think she was obviously like post Regina Spector post like all those 2000s like piano girlies all the 2015 stuff that sounds like that was like all like pretty bad like passenger let it go kind of stuff 
Okay. I was listening to some, I'm not going to name the artist because I, I don't want to speak disparagingly of them on this podcast, but I was listening to singles from a very buzzy singer-songwriter that has been written about in multiple publications this week, whose album is coming out on Friday. Um, and I was like, this... You, you, people look just Okay, their up. name is Joanna Sternberg, so you can go look up their music. They're signed to Fat Possum. Um... I found their music very Marnie Michaels-ish. I'll just say that. Whoa. So. I mean, here's the thing. I think Marnie Michaels could like absolutely crush TikTok. And so maybe, maybe you're right. Like yeah. she could really be a, okay. Marnie Michaels, bring her back. I feel like her music's good for a 2023 playlist that's AI generated. Yes. That's like for when the sun's rising and you just want coffee. You know, yes. like oh my God, there's like yes. a she's a singles girl. You know, she she gets uh, some playlist action. You know, never releases a full album, um, yeah. and that I feel that feels at home in 2023. Oh, absolutely! Like oh God, if Marnie would ever admit that she has anxiety, she could definitely write about it and be relatable. Like that's I don't remember the name of this singer but that song like numb little bug about being so anxious you're a numb little bug like that's what is that it, it's it was like a big hit I don't know who sings it but like it's about that's being true. so anxious you feel like a numb little bug and that I definitely really feels don't, I don't like that I don't like that at all I mean there's also an alternate timeline where she writes like ABC d-e-f-u oh, <laughs> and that, i could see that happen too like if i would she love just, that like, took her uh what was that cover she did i'm not oh the the i'm not hell <laughs> cover yeah if she took that a little more seriously she could have done a b c d e f u oh my god <laughs> okay we need to go on to shosh though she is i i i really love shosh's journey in this episode um i love her in A.D. Bryant's girl boss office um, interviewing for this digital marketing job, talking about her experience working for Ray and how it reinvigorated her job search. I love her kind of spinning that for her resume. It's she's perfect. Um, And just the way A.D. Bryant's office is staged is so funny. The millennial Mm. pink, it's like so sterile. She has the big book of chic, the neon sign clocks for tokyo and new york city i I mean it's it's i saw that and i thought fuck like this is i want to make this i want to make this show and i want to make it about Eddie bryant yeah another stunning walk-on role this season you're like oh Eddie bryant's here too you know again just every person who they need to speak lines or be someone's boss is just like oh that is like a somebody who went on to be so amazing so amazing that hardest I laughed all episode was A.D. Bryant saying that the girl who currently holds Shosha's role is bipolar so they need to fire yes. her the minute she's on a manic upswing <laughs> a oh. manic upswing she does a little hand movement too up outrageous oh and like God. even her hair her hair is so Shoshana-esque as well like two what are they called like disco space buns space buns space buns and like front tendrils of it was like she looked like a pokemon gym leader <laughs> like, it was incredible i yeah i mean 
so ad i don't remember oh her name is abigail i know that because the sign the, the sign. Sign says abigail <laughs> abigail asks shosh if she'd be down to relocate to tokyo for this job she also says learning japanese is quote-unquote super easy which i thought was really funny <laughs> like it's just a bunch of like syllables that you mix around um and then drew like you said the the person who currently holds the role is bipolar so they need to get her out <laughs> But she's really thinking about taking this position. Um, but her her current startup boyfriend is not so pleased. Yeah, him like begging her at I I'll, like on my little notes I wrote that the table is too small. Like for whatever reason, I found that like the size of this dinner table like so uncomfortable. Um, he he's like trying to keep her a cap woman he's like I'm gonna be in love with you soon like you can come work at my cup of noodles startup like so desperate like he's just looking for like a Park Avenue housewife and that is not Shoshana no that guy is all over the place now too and so successful you know (laughs) he's really good here I mean he's that guy yeah, he went on to to find his Park Avenue housewife and become the worst tech exec you've never heard of. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Is this the last we see of him on this show? I don't remember. I think he's kind of a throw. I also don't remember. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, re- I really love Jason Ritter, a.k.a. Mr. Melanie Linsky. I just have loved him for a long time. So great little role. I'm glad he got... Like they just give the guest stars a little showcase scenes. It's just it's nice to like a it's just good writing, but b you get a little insight into the interiority of these side characters you only see for a minute and a half because they get so many weird lines and idiosyncrasies in such a short period of time. You're like, oh, this isn't just some just random weirdo. Like this is a random weirdo with like a point of view and that's takes a genius it takes a genius every character is so well developed and well thought out um even this guy with the cup of noodle company it's great i mean i also just love the line i'm gonna be in love with you so soon it's so perfect for this guy i i don't know it's it's very funny Um, yeah there's also like a it's a great reflection on on shoshana's growth too like mm-hmm. earlier in the season she has that scene in the interview where she says just tell me what's wrong with me yeah you know, just just tell me what's wrong with me and then here she is with a guy who's just sort of like tells her what to do mm-hmm. and she's still sort of rejecting it and and trying something new even if it's not familiar necessarily yeah um so i love seeing show should get what she wants um and also not know what she wants but decide to pursue it anyway it's sweet yeah it's sweet that she has the little instinct to to go to ray in these times of crises because they've settled into such a nice friendship after their relationship ended and even though he's not here and she has to talk to um colin quinn who gives her like probably better advice than ray would have because ray's a little too selfish to i think fully give up on that but like shosha's presence in his life um I don't know, nice little character development that even works like in the absence of one character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, be the walker, not the dog. And then he, <laughs> he uh, 
He says, in the words of Sheryl Sandberg, lean in and grab a seat at the table. Yeah. <laughs> and just like that, she's moving to Japan. I love it. Setting the scene for one of my absolute favorite episodes of Girls. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, oh. it's so perfect. Oh. Great episode. Great episode. This is also uh, uh, an all-stars writing episode because it's it's Lena and Jenny and Judd. Um, oh, wow. Three-way no wonder. No wonder uh, writing movie. episode. Previously, uh, I think the most the next most recent episode that all three of them co-wrote together was Beach House. Um, wow. So, you know, it's really the dream team as far yeah. as, as girls writing trifectas go. Yeah, like it definitely feels like a very confidently written, confidently plotted episode that I think all girls finales are very good. But this one feels very satisfying on all four character levels, like maybe not a ton of resolution with Adam beyond him getting rejected by Hannah. But other than that, like, I was happy with all this and happy with this season too. like. I think this is kind of canonically considered the worst girls season. And I I think I do agree with that, but it's still very good. Like if the other seasons are like an A minus to an A plus, this is like a solid like B plus. There's an element where it's, I'm sorry, continue. Oh, I was just saying I had a lot of fun rewatching. Like we, I I remembered it. uh, I, I, I loved it, you know? I every, loved every second. I remember mm-hmm. being like, eh, when we finished, or when I finished it initially, but I don't know. I thought it was great. Yeah. Well, just talking about it now, too, I'm even kind of realizing that, you know, based off of that phone call scene with her parents, where it's kind of like, I don't know if they're trying to draw a line to her Hannah's more poisonous qualities. You know, you see some of those manifesting in her mother now that her mother's in sort of an unstable situation. And there's that scene where she kind of like rejects her mother's instability for a casual accepting conversation with her father. Maybe in a way that for me makes that ending coda with Fran work slightly better where, you know, fading out from that to this coda where she's with Fran is sort of like in self-actualizing in the way that she's rejected Adam and rejected her mother's kind of similar instincts to her more poisonous qualities and pivoting to her father. Maybe that pointed her in the direction of over the course of six months being somebody who Fran was more inclined towards accepting on his own terms. I don't know if I'm reaching too much there, but just something that occurred to me as we were talking about those combination of scenes here too, which sort of makes me you know, again, it's it's not really like spoon feeding you, you know, easy, cut and dry, you know, these are the character resolution kind of things, but there's a lot to to dig into there and in, in yeah. a really subtle and great way. No, 100%. And like, not to get into next season too much too, but I think they do sort of explore the parallels between Tad and Lorene and Fran and Hannah pretty well actually in season five and how Hannah dating a quote-unquote normal guy for an extended period of time isn't quite what she wants mm-hmm. either so but that's for next episode we'll get into that next week when we start covering season five but we should probably finish our uh, with our final segments Julia yeah um 
at the end of each episode, we'd like to look back and determine which girl we felt most kindred to in this particular episode. I can I can go first. Um, I felt show like I would love to be Shosh. Shosh is who I feel like when I'm my best self, which is mm-hmm. like getting an offer to go to Tokyo. Um, and then in in practice, honestly jessa thinking she can be a therapist that's after helping like one single person that's me and hannah calling her mom and saying mommy i just saw a baby being born (laughs) Mm -hmm. so those were the moments i saw myself yeah i think i was for once very shoshana-esque um i felt very tapped into the like business bitch like girl on the go side of her because I've been in that space a lot recently and I was like good for you for choosing professional success and like personal growth over dumb guys we could all take some notes so (laughs) yeah um you know as, as a Hannah uh I think you know there's there's something unsatisfying intentionally so about her where she ends up in the season as as we've talked about so far but there is you know something about finding the thing you were looking for in that the place it was and you didn't even really have to move anywhere geographically you know to get it was kind of I don't know I just I look back to me in my 20s maybe and there's something about Hannah and this that um I really identified with even if she's you don't necessarily walk away from it um being totally in love with her you know I think the journey was the journey kind of thing in a way that you kind of have to um stop trying to control as much Mm -hmm. um so I'd say Hannah maybe right um I definitely agree on the the Shoshana points too um but I have a lot of Hannah commonality I guess next segment fit check Every week we talk about the best outfits of the week on the show. Um, I had two for mine. I loved Laird's beanie, eternally excellent. But like, there's just something so funny about a man in a beanie being present at a birth. I don't know why. Just very funny (laughs) to me. Um, And then from an actual fashion perspective, I loved Shosha's outfit. Uh, I thought the hair clips worked. I thought she looks like Parker Posey in Party Girl. Perfect. Perfect outfit. Yep. Amazing. I I just said nude Caroline. I thought, <laughs> I mean, amazing, perfect. Love her so much. I love how comfortable she is with full frontal on this show. Just completely bush out. I, I love her. Yep. I don't think it's a good outfit, but I just wanted to, getting back to Desi and him being sort of a perfect, perfect encapsulation of a certain type of guy I thought the outfit was right for it which Ray sort of calls out I thought (laughs) it was you know it's like he's this trying to be something and appear lived in you know and it works on a lot of people like it works on Marnie but um you know it's kind of a perfect wardrobe choice for that character um more than it is a good fit Mm. it was also a direct hit on 
me, Drew Haskins, because I wore almost that exact shirt the other day out. Um, <laughs> as like a kind of like I, I was like, oh, like I'm feeling a little car hardy. I'm feeling a little like dressed down. And then, um, you know, when I was working with my hands later in the week, putting together furniture, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not the working man. I'm not, oh, I, I'm not like the Ethel Kane ideal like construction <laughs> twink or whatever. So. <sighs> And then final segment, MVP and LVP of the week, most valuable player and least valuable player. Julia, do you want to go first for this one? Yeah, I said Jessa as the MVP just because I I really appreciate her kind of coming into the situation, you know, saying exactly what needs to be done, taking action, and then deciding I need to be a therapist. I think that was really cool. And then LVP is Desi. Wow. He continues to disappoint. He's so hot and he sucks so much. No. And I agree 100% on both points. No additional comments. So. <laughs> Seconded, thirded, rather. Yeah. I mean, Desi is the LVP for a while, I think. I think yeah. we, we have some episodes coming up where he's, wow. Yeah, and I'm glad um, I am forever thankful for Peyton Dix for coming on and clarifying to us in like a communal recognition that Marnie doesn't have to be the LVP, Desi can be, which is not a thought that had occurred to us in 30 episodes before uh, we got to that point, so... Wait, Drew, he... did you did you have the same answers for MVP? Oh yeah, yeah, L- I had the LVP? same same answers. I'm also gonna give a shout out to Marnie for just you know being the vocal talent that she is and okay. continues to be. Um, and also shows for like going to Japan's cool as hell. So I have supplemental her. answers for both. Please, okay. um, MVP. Uh, I would say Ray potentially. Oh yeah. Um, okay. And just because I, I like what his decision does to spin everything in different directions for, you know, there's going to be collateral friendship impacts there for a while. Uh, and then uh, LVP, Adam, uh, you know, yeah, really settling in for the thing that he thinks he wants and regressing in a way that Hannah rejects and not being really helpful at all in the birthing scene and everything i think adam deserves a special uh lvp call out in uh wow. in this episode in particular even though i would desire to gaze into his eyes yeah uh, <laughs> i think we have rose-colored glasses on for or at least i do like i i don't think i've ever given him the lvp just because i there's i can't yeah he and I don't think he ever will get it because the moment that he would be LVP, we didn't know that we could give men the LVP award. We, we didn't just didn't know, know we could. So it's um, you know, if we ever want to go back and retrospectively um call out men, mm-hmm. we, we need to rewrite do history. that. But we simply haven't done that uh, historically <laughs> until very recently, much like uh our culture writ large. So. Um, Alex, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for being here. This was so great. I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk at length about this show. I, I, um, 
I feel more qualified on this podcast than almost any other. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. And if you would like to be found on social media, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's my name, Alex Eldridge. Only the I is the number one. Okay. And W-A- I was a W-A-G strong, which is wives and girlfriends of soccer players. W-G-A strong. Yeah, W-G-A strong. strong. Yeah, I'm on the... Um, I'm on I'm on strike from a Netflix show right now and I'm on the picket line every day so I follow me for strike content um there'll be more of that in the weeks ahead but hopefully uh, not time, too much more hopefully not hopefully not too much more. more well by the time this airs uh we'll know whether or not uh the Screen Actors Guild is going to be joining us on the picket line so that'll be um new information people listening to this will have um that we don't have today and I would also like to shout out Fran Drescher for signing a letter addressed to herself, because that was very funny to say. Um, okay, well, until next week, we will be back uh, with a very special guest to cover the season five premiere. So get caught up. Right. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. How you doing, Diva? Are your bones weary? Are your muscles so sore and drained you can't even roll your carcass out of bed? The Now will rejuvenate your body, mind, and spirit with an array of muscular treatments such as massage, cupping, and heat therapy. The Now's signature treatment combines Swedish massage techniques with calming aromatherapy to provide a balm for your body's wear and tear. My favorite Now treatment is the stretch. As an athlete and podcaster, I often don't take care of my many muscles the way I should. But thanks to the now, I'm flexible, fit, and won't hurt myself doing Stairmaster or moving my mic from one table to another. The now has locations in most major metropolitan areas. So book an appointment or procure a membership today. Your journey starts now.